The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Tuesday, June 6th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody. I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone's having a great start to their week. We're coming off of a pretty interesting UFC Vegas 74 card, and by interesting... We mean the scoring in the main event, which I'll touch on in a moment. We are just days away from the UFC's next pay-per-view event, UFC 289. Amanda Nunes versus Arini Aldana, the main event for the women's bantamweight title. The highly anticipated lightweight matchup between Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush. The co-main event It's the UFC's return to Canada. First time in around three years. Heading to Vancouver for that card. And of course, like usual, I will be heading to New York City on Saturday morning. Watch party going down this Saturday evening. Myself, the great GC, will be in the MMA Hour studio watching the fights with all of you. So if you're watching the pay-per-view, if you're ordering the pay-per-view, watch along with us. We'll give you the times. You can see the the clock so we can watch it and sync up together. If you don't want to spend $80 on this card, which I completely understand with two pay-per-views coming up in July, we'll just tell you what's what happens. And you can save yourself 80 bucks if you need to do that. So we can talk about that. We can talk about other stuff. But I feel we should probably talk about 
the main event of this past Saturday between Kai Car France and Amir Albazi. And boy, oh boy, were people fired up about this fight, the scoring of this fight, the R word being chucked out there, robbery, all of that. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat as I was Saturday night. Not a robbery. Fight's not a robbery. It was close enough where it's just not a robbery. The problem is one judge's scorecard for one particular round. Because the way I look at it is if that judge, I believe it was Derek, I don't know, was it Derek Cleary? I'm not, I don't even know at this point. Just, just so many of these decisions that are questionable and the robbery talk, all that. Here's a couple of things uh, that we need to know. One, we can sit there and get pissed off and get mad and say that we hate the media and all this stuff. Like that was one of the comments that I saw. Uh, we headlined the post fight show was Kai Car France robbed on Saturday, and someone literally literally responded and said, "No, this is a statement, not a question. I hate the media. I hate the media." That's what this fight has done to people. Caused hatred for some reason. So we need to keep in mind that this is not the first time this has happened. This is certainly not going to be the last time this has happened. and Or this is going to happen. So we just need to accept the fact that if we are going to watch MMA, we're going to watch UFC events or Bellator events or PFL events or what have you, these things are going to happen. The scoring in MMA is stupid and it's dumb, and it's based on a boxing model that makes absolutely no sense for MMA. Makes no sense. But this is the world that we live in, and we have to accept that this is going to happen. The same way we look at fouls and point deductions and whether or not points should be taken away in certain instances, it's the same thing. That's why at MMAfighting.com we've been telling people that coaches in gyms should have the last 15 minutes of practice be about cheating and not getting caught. Or even if you do get caught, for the most part, they ain't going to call anything. They're not going to call anything because referees don't want to be put in a position where they take a point away from a fighter in a three-round fight and that that point deduction could cost said fighter not just the fight, but a whole bunch of money in the process. So we have to keep that in mind. These are This is the world we live in, and decisions like this are going to happen all the time. And just because they're close, it doesn't mean it's a robbery. I don't think this is a robbery. The scoring of the individual round is fucking terrible. It's pretty bad. But at the same token, if that judge who scored the fourth round for Amir Albazi scored that fourth round for Kaikar France, but scored the first three rounds for Amir Albazi, we are not having this conversation right now. We're not. It's just the way, it's just the the 10-9s and all this, it's just stupid. It's just dumb. And to me, the fight was close and competitive enough. One, two, and one and two were very close rounds. It could have gone either way. I've watched the fight a bunch of times. If one judge scored the first three rounds for Amir Albazi, I may not necessarily fully agree with that, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. The fourth round being scored for Amir Abazi is awful. It's awful. 
it's bad. But even then, like, I, I just, I saw some people say, you know, the strike statistics and all that, they don't always tell the whole story. And that's completely true. But in this particular round, it's pretty clear that Amir Albazi, it's not that he took a round off, but he took his foot off the gas a little bit. So I just don't know how you could score the fourth round for Amir Albazi. You certainly can't score the fifth round for Amir Albazi because that was a clear Kaikar France round. You can't score the third round for Kaikar France because that was a clear Amir Albazi round every time I've watched it. I understand that Albazi had control, almost got a submission, didn't land a ton of damaging shots in the process. And Kaikar France had a moment in the last 30 seconds of that round where he got on top and landed some shots and all that. I just don't think that was enough to steal the round. I, I just didn't think so of all the times I watched it. So that is a clear Albazi round. But one and two are very, very close and competitive. They're very, very close. So you can make a case that Amir Albazi won three of those rounds. I'm not going to argue with you. I don't necessarily agree because I think Kai probably snuck away one of those first two rounds. I think I keep getting the first and second round confused. But there was one round, I, like I felt pretty confident that it was 19-19 heading into the third round. I felt good about it, watching it live, going back and watching it. You could have scored the first round for Kai Kara France. You could have scored the first round for Amir Albazi. You could have done the same in the second. How we got to the scores is the issue. But to me, Albazi winning... It's just, it's just not, a, it's, it's not, there have been clear cut robberies in MMA. This is not one of them. This is not one of like the Mount Rushmore bad scorecards, bad scoring of the history of the UFC or MMA. It's not even, it's not even close. It's not even close. It's not even close. It's, it's almost like the reverse of the Aljamain Sterling Henry Cejudo fight. Because, I mean, it didn't really work out the same exact way. But to me, the right fighter won, but had one judge scored the fifth round the way it was supposed to be scored, then Henry Cejudo would be the Bantamweight champion right now. We'd be having a much different conversation. So sometimes the right guy wins. The way we got there isn't always right. And sometimes... The wrong guy wins, and the way we got there is is weird. So you just got to take the good with the bad, my friends. That's just It's just the sport. It's going to happen. We're going to see fouls not get called. We're going to see points not being taken away. We're going to see scorecards that are weird. And if you've been watching the sport long enough, you know that there are far more egregious scorecards and far more egregious decisions in the history of the sport than what we saw on Saturday night. So I'm just, I'm not willing to call this a robbery. I'm not willing to call this a robbery. How we got there, I get it. That fourth round is a little weird. But to say that there isn't a case to be made at all, that Amir Albazi could have won three rounds, I just don't think it's true. I think you can make a case that Albazi won the first three rounds. I wouldn't score it that way, but I could see a world where it could be scored that way. And that's not completely out of, out of control and, and egregious. And I also understand that one of the things that got people so riled up about this and one of the things that, be, that has become so prevalent in the sport is gambling. Gambling is a big part of the sport right now. 
We talk about betting odds. I love to look at the betting odds and just kind of see where value lies within certain fighters. But that also creates a lot of heat, a lot of anger, where Kai Car France betters were probably feeling pretty good about themselves after that final horn sounded. They were already figuring out how they were going to take their winnings and how they were going to use them this coming Saturday at UFC 289. Well, I wasn't going to bet this much, but now I'm, I got this extra money from the Kai Car France win. I'm counting my cash already. And then the decision goes to Amir Albazi, and everyone who bet on Kai Car France is just angry and livid, and they're pissed off. And that's the chance you take, guys. It's the chance you take, especially when the scoring structure in the sport, especially in the UFC, is just so stupid. It's not boxing. This is MMA. It's a whole different thing. Certain 10-9s cannot be scored like other 10-9s, but they are. It's just, it's just so weird. And, and props to, to Ariel for reaching out to Andy Foster and reaching out to Mike Mazzulli and reaching out to other people in these decision-making positions within these commissions about what we can do to speak to the officials and at least get context on why they scored things the way that they scored things like California. I honestly like that was legit breaking news. I had no idea that there would, that there is a meeting in California after these events that the media is welcome to attend with all the officials. No clue. I had no idea that was a thing. And I also had no idea that not only could you attend Physically, you could attend virtually as well. You could call into the meeting and, and listen in and, and give your thoughts and hear what the officials have to say about certain fights. Like, that's great. I wish every state did that. I wish they all did that. And I think the sport would be a much better place if every state were able to do that. If we could hear from certain judges, why did they score things that way? I saw somebody suggest the other day that when you're writing down your score – there should be like a little box next to the round where you could fill in one sentence or so about why you scored it that way. It doesn't have to be like a big paragraph, but just be like, this guy did more damage. This guy had position. This guy did this. This guy did that. Three, four words. That'd be an interesting addition as well. But I would love to see things change. We would love to invoke change in a lot of different aspects, but Unfortunately, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I know, and I saw a lot of people like blaming the UFC for this and and that. And and I don't think that's necessarily fair, if we're being honest, because the UFC doesn't appoint the officials. They really have nothing to do with it. It's based on the state and it's based on the commission. They assign the judges. They assign the referees. All that they assign those referees beforehand. And for pay per view events, they assign them at the commission meetings. And they have to be approved by pretty much everybody across the board. So it's not the UFC that's to blame for certain things. It would go to the commission. And that's why we want these officials to have the ability to explain themselves. Because being a judge sucks. It's not an easy job. It's a thankless job. Once in a while, you get praise for having the correct scorecard and scoring a 10-8 when it needs to be scored and all of that. 
but it's a very thankless job. You get very little praise and you get all the shit flung at you. It's and, and you're not making a ton of money to do it. It's not an easy job. But I, I think even some of the officials would be like, all right, I'm getting dumped on on every podcast and every show on planet Earth based on my card. I would love the ability to explain myself. Maybe not everybody, but I'm sure there are certain judges who would, who would love that opportunity. But those things need to change and that we can change. The actual scoring structure and all that, could it change? Sure, but it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. So we have to think more positively and we have to at least prepare ourselves that this is not an anomaly. This is not a unicorn. This is going to happen more often than not. And I guarantee you on Saturday at UFC 289, there's going to be a decision that people aren't going to agree with. And then we're going to talk about it. And then a couple days later, we're going to be getting ready for Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier, and we're not even going to be talking about it anymore. And then guess what? There's probably going to be a controversial decision on that card too. This is just the world we live in. There's going to be close decisions. There's going to be things that we don't agree with. Do I think Kaikar France deserved to win that fight? I scored it for him every time I watched the fight. But do I feel like overly confident that he won three rounds? Like I'm over the moon, 100% confident he won three rounds? No. I'm confident he won two. But I, the, it, was just a, it was a close competitive fight. And we're just we're looking at one card, one round. To me, it's not a robbery. To me, it's not a robbery. But some of you may disagree, and that's okay. But it's nothing to get just riled up about because this is, this is life. This is MMA, my friends. This stuff's going to keep happening. We just need to prepare ourselves to not get so angry about it. All right, Tristan, kick us off. Hey, Mike, and um, to piggyback off that, and, this, and I've, been, I've been thinking about this a lot, um, to think where we at as far as the, the state of journalism and media covering MMA. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. And one of the things is I was, I was listening to a podcast and um, they went to uh this was um, in regards of the local newspaper um, being gone and diminishing. And um, I think it was a uh, David Simon who was a reporter for the Baltimore sun. And then um, he actually created the show, the wire and he was on Capitol Hill. And one of the things he had said was, this is a great time to be a corrupt politician. And everybody laughed, but he was the one that was very serious. As far as the UFC is concerned, and we've talked, and you've, and I've been observant, very observant what you've been saying about certain things. Like, you've gone to the point where you're like, I'm not even watching the press conference because it doesn't make sense for me to watch Dana White talk because he's not going to be transparent. Why is he there? We've talked about him being reassigned the control that they have with the media, we're like, there's no follow-up questions. Because if you ask, and Luke Thomas brought this up, if you ask a probing question, you get your credentials pulled away. And listen, not everybody else Ariel Hawani that could survive it. There, there could be a point where if the credentials are taken away from the journalist or the reporter, they got to go back to the publication. Publication is that we got to let you go. If you lost your credentials, we can't, we can't, we can't bring you back. And it's just, I mean, it's at to the point where, and this is probably for a long time, the UFC is, 
is Teflon, and they are Mr. Untouchable. And it's going to be astonishing where, moving forward, how much more they're going to get away with it. And we this stuff probably we don't even know. That might be really bad. And again, we don't have enough publication. We have Bloody Elbow, but we don't have much. I mean, there's so much you can do. There's so much MMA fighting can do. There's so much MMA junkie can do. Everybody has to make moral compromises. So I just, I mean, I, I, again, I, people don't want to hear this, but it has to be talked about every couple of months or so. Like you said, with the Dana White situation when he hit his wife, got to keep bringing it up because it's got to be talked about. But it's so hard because not enough people care about it because MMA is so unique. If you look at the other leagues, you have outside the line investigating reporting because there's enough people that care about it. With MMA, it's just it's just not like that. And you know, I, I'm just bringing it up because I, I'm concerned and I'm just wondering, man, what more UFC is going to get away with? And there's nothing we can do about it unless you know people speak up. Just your deep thoughts about this, or if you had any reflections about this, uh, Mike. Thanks. I mean, look, like I said with the whole. New Year's Eve incident with Dana and how it was covered and how certain outlets, ESPN in particular, sort of, I'm not going to say they defended Dana, but they definitely gave him a pass when other sports, if this happens, they would have been much harder on it and they would have spent a a lot more time on it. When I had people who cover other sports text me that were all laughing at you, Like, I never forgot that. We're all laughing at you. You guys are who we all thought you were from Jump Street. And that was something I just haven't forgotten. And that's just kind of where we're at right now. That's just kind of where we're at. Now, I don't don't necessarily agree with all that because if you've seen some of the press conferences, you have seen certain journalists challenge Dana in certain ways. And... Dana seems to be up for the challenge more oftentimes than not. And oftentimes he'll answer your question with another question to try to trap you or try to get you off your game. And it works on some people. It doesn't work on others. And that's just the nature of the beast and the nature of the business right now. The thing that's going to change that is competition competition because like you said they are untouchable right now they are printing money they are killing the game they could put on any card of any substance with any 25 26 fighters can't do 25 fighters because no one's going to fight themselves but you know where i'm getting at and people are going to watch and they're going to get a whole bunch of money just for putting the cards on and at the same token dana being at a press conference is It's business for sites. Being able to take that media scrum and put it on your YouTube channel and write articles about it based on what Dana says. There's something to that. There's something to that. Dana provides value in that sense because people want to hear what Dana has to say. Now, it's not the same as it once was where Dana's word is gospel and everybody believes it to be gospel and that the media are always the bad guys and Dana tells the truth about everything. 
I feel like I'm not saying those days are over, but I think more people who have been invested in the sport long enough are starting to see holes in what Dana has to say. I thought the Jared Gordon situation was ridiculous. The whole blaming him for all of that. Like, what are we doing here? You're going to blame Jared Gordon for that? When you're literally watching him fight Bobby Green and seeing how that fight ended, and you're just going to, okay, let's offer him a fight. His team's like, yeah, go ahead and take this fight. And then they pull him because at the press conference, he's, or, or at his media scrum prior to the fight, he said he had a, a slight concussion. Of course he did. No shit, Sherlock. Of course he had a concussion. He bashed heads with another fighter and they got punched in the face a whole bunch. Of course he got a concussion. And then you go out into a live microphone and you blame Jared Gordon for that? What's he supposed to do? This is how he makes money. If you're going to offer him a fight and an opportunity, what's a fighter going to say? No. No, he's, they're going to say yes. Because they need to make money. They need to make money. His last fight was a no contest. If he gets a chance to fight Jim Miller and he wants to win and he thinks he can win, what's he going to do? Say no because I had a slight concussion six weeks ago? He's probably like, what? They're offering me a fight? Okay. This is how I make my living. And then to blame him for that? I don't know. It's silly. But the only way that's gonna all this stuff's gonna change and and all that is is competition. Like I said, like I've said a million times, where the UFC is right now is where the WWF was in the mid to late 1980s. They were the juggernaut, they were the powerhouse, they were making money hand over fist, they were selling out every arena, they were running I mean, UFC's not running the Pontiac Silverdome putting ninety-three thousand people in the seats, but WWF didn't have to pay the wrestlers that much unless they were big stars. They just provided opportunity. And it was until, wasn't until WCW came along in 1996, 1997, started offering guaranteed money to certain talent that led to other big name wrestlers wanting to jump ship and make that same guaranteed money, which forced WWF to start putting out guaranteed contracts. And it changed the business forever. Right now, the UFC doesn't have any competition. They have none. There are certain regions of the world where they do. Like, I completely would understand and believe that KSW is more popular in Poland than the UFC is. I believe that 100%. That's the truth. Just like one championship in Asia is probably more popular than the UFC. But globally, they're not. And KSW knows that. Like, KSW is not more popular than the UFC anywhere else besides Poland. And they know that. But everywhere else, the UFC is just killing it. They're just killing it. And until somebody comes along that can help change the game, and maybe PFL could do this. But then at the same time, like, PFL shoots themselves in the foot by having multiple drug failures. Yes, they signed Francis Ngannou, which could lead to something big, but I still have concerns and questions and trepidation and we need time to pass before we can judge whether or not this is a great deal or not we got don davis coming out and putting out graphics that are just uh hey look at me i'm here bunch of crap 
And every time it seems like a, a promotion gets any momentum at all, something happens and they shoot themselves in the foot and they either go backwards or they stay the same for a long time. So again, much like the conversations about close decisions and rather than getting upset about it at this moment, we just have to accept that the UFC is number one with the bullet. They have zero competition. Even though there's other promotions out there that people care about, they have zero competition. They're so far ahead of everybody else. They have lapped the competition 50 times over. And until somebody else comes along that can challenge them in any way, this is what it's going to be, folks. This is what it's going to be. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Uh, man, there's a lot of you. All right, let's get to uh, VB MMA Picks. VBMMA, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Hello, and thank you for, you know, inviting me here and accepting. I see my people here, some of the guys I follow, and I follow you too. I watch your, you know, interviews a lot, so thank you for adding me. Thanks, man. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you about, like, this idea of five judges, you know? I think that that could be that could be interesting uh, topic because there are some organizations who have that, you know? And honestly, I see less, like, these robberies there when they have five judges, you know, than three. 
which I think is doable, and it's not that hard, I don't think, you know? So why not have five judges, and let's say two, two make mistake, you know? And you still have a correct decision, you know? So wanted to ask what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, look, look, I'm willing to try anything at this point. I'm willing to try anything. And one of the things that I've been suggesting for a while is something that CFFC tried like five or six, seven years ago where they did an event somewhere in New Jersey. I think it was in Atlantic City. And they had three judges cage side. And then they took three other judges and they put them in a room where they could watch the monitors, watch the broadcast, and they wore noise-canceling headphones. So they couldn't hear any of the commentary. They couldn't hear any of the crowd reaction. They just watched the fights in complete silence. And they wanted to compare the scores. How did the three judges cage side score it and compare it to the three judges who watched it in complete silence? And I feel like the complete silence would make a massive difference. I feel like that would make a massive difference. Now, I know in the apex, there's not a ton of people there. But there are people there. And they do react to certain things that happen. And when you obviously you have a big crowd, like if Max Holloway, when he fought Arnold Allen, if Max Holloway whistled, the fans would have erupted. They were big Max Holloway fans. And sometimes, and we've seen in some of the, the sport's biggest robberies, that crowd reaction can sway judges. So, I, I mean... Is open scoring the answer? A lot of people think it is. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I just think you're just going to get more complaining and more negativity round by round. Could it make a difference in certain cases? Yeah, but not in all. But I honestly, like, I, I don't know if it's, some people have suggested, well, let's have fighters be the judges. That's great. But the problem is it is a small circle. Okay, most fighters, no fighters, whether they're teammates or they've trained together once or twice or they've seen them fight and they're a fan or whatnot. So there could be an issue with being biased and things of that nature because fighters know other fighters. So that, that could be an issue. It's just, it's just tough. I would just like to see things tried. Like if open scoring is really the answer, Let's just try it. Let's just try it. If the UFC goes back to Colorado and you could do open scoring there, like, try it. What's, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You're going to make headlines because you're trying it. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But at least you tried. But I think, like, the noise canceling and watching fights in silence and all that, I think that would be a nice thing to try, too. Let's just experiment with it. Let's do what CFFC did. Whenever a pay-per-view comes about, have the three judges cage side. Let's just pay three random dudes who are judges, men or men and women who want to be judges who, who are judges. Put them in a back room. They spend the night in the back, and they score fights in complete silence while watching the monitors. And we'll see how the scores compare. Let's just try something. And that's... 
And I know it's a commission by commission thing. It's also a promotional thing. Just because a state offers open scoring doesn't necessarily mean that the promotion is going to use that open scoring. But that, again, when you're the UFC and you're so far ahead and you can't lose and you're printing money left and right, they just don't see any need in taking a risk or trying anything different. I don't know. I, I, the scoring structure needs to change, but we have to try something. We have to see what works. We have to find what's consistent. Anything. But we have to try. Invicta doing open scoring, it's a cool concept. It was a cool concept for the first event, but now it's just like a thing. We just know that Invicta is going to have open scoring. doesn't make headlines anymore. It's not going to make headlines until another big promotion does it. I don't know. It's a weird thing, but it's not going to change. And if it does, it ain't going to be anytime soon. Toke, hello. The quiet little recess from the negativity because uh, I didn't watch the card this weekend. I decided not to. I'm just staying out of all the uh, drama. And I'm just going to say this. Firstly, congratulations to KSW. You are leading the charge in making European MMA great. You and Octagon MMA are doing great things with interesting concepts and actually bringing in the insane production value for uh, both of those organizations. So firstly, thanks to you and your European efforts. And other than that, I've seen a lot of people shit on the upcoming card and I'm not gonna say, hey, it's a great card. But when I saw the Dan Ige versus uh, Nate Landwehr. Yeah, Nate Landwehr. I got chills. I mean, that fight is exactly what I want. And because, you know, Dan Ige has had two uh, up and down uh, results, let's call it that. But that fight still chills me to the bone in the excitement that I'm going to experience there. And we might, the only negative thing I'm going to say, we might be one step closer. And that's actually positive for me, but it's probably going to be negative for you. Um, We are one step closer to the Chris Curtis at welterweight experiment that I've wanted for a long time. And I'm still calling for it because I, and I don't think he's going to beat Imovov. If he does, Great. Then he's back in the in the middleweight uh, game, but I do think that he's going to lose. I think this is a bad style matchup for him, and I think that he. I still think he should be a welterweight. I know you were against the last time I talked about it. I still think he should drop back to welterweight, where he would be the right size uh, or like uh, same size as his um, common fighters. But that's it. Great European MMA and uh, a few fun fights at the upcoming card. See ya. Yes. Shout out to KSW and Octagon doing big things. They're having fun. They're having fun. They're trying things. They're differentiating themselves from the norm. And I respect that. It was just cool seeing some of like Nick Baldwin was there at the KSW event, taking photos and taking some videos and just, man, it was just so cool to like see that building and seeing 50,000 people 
into an MMA card and seeing how it was all set up and the pillars, the Coliseum look, like all of it was just so cool. And then we went to the Apex for the UFC card. It was just like, ugh, back to the norm. But yeah, shout out to KSW. Look, 289 is, it's a, it's not a great card, guys. Like, it's not great. I love, obviously, the the headlines are going to be on the co-main event, Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush. There's incredible stakes in that fight, especially for Dariush. I love Danny Ige versus Nate Landwehr. But we're also getting a main card. And I'm not saying – I'm not trying to be a, a hater or a bum or a negative Nancy. But Eric Anders, Mark andre Burial is a main card fight. It's, it's, it's – come on. Come on. It's – for a pay-per-view that you're asking people to spend $80 on, it's not great. It's fine. There's some good fights. There's things to like. There's things to like. I like Mike Malott. I like him. I like the guy. He's powerful. He's fun. He finishes dudes. That's going to be a fun fight. But is it an $80 fight? I don't know. Chris Curtis, Nasruddin Imovov, probably could have served better on that main card, if we're being honest. But that's neither here nor there. I'm going to watch it. I'm probably going to enjoy it. But if you're, it's just the whole thing. Like, you're asking people to spend 80 bucks on this and then a month later spend another 80 bucks on the international fight week card. And then three weeks after that, asking people to spend another 80 bucks. And then three weeks after that, asking people to spend another 80 bucks. It's just asking a lot of the common man, the common MMA fan. That's 320 bucks. You got to spend over like two and a half months. It's a lot. It's a lot. I'm not saying this is going to be like a, sh- a bad card, like when we watch it. I'm not going to say that the people who spend the money aren't going to be entertained, but compare this one to 290. It's not even close. 288 wasn't a great card either. 287 was good. But again, this is the UFC world. They have to fill so many cards and... I do like the fact I, I do like the fact that this one's eleven fights. I do like this this is eleven fights. I think most cards should be 10, 11 fights. I think 13, 14, 15 is too many. Whether it's a pay-per-view or a fight night card, that's just too many fights. It's just too many. It's too many. But there are things we like and there are things that are we could probably do without, if we're being honest. Uh, in terms of what's on the main card and whatnot. For an actual pay-per-view broadcast for fans, all that. The Chris Curtis thing, it's not that I was like against I'm not against Chris Curtis going to 170. Like if he decides like I'm gonna move back down to welterweight, go for it. Like I'd watch, I'd be intrigued by it. But if I'm Chris Curtis at this point in his career, you're in the UFC, you've it took you forever to get there. You don't have to cut a bunch of weight. You're winning fights. People like it. People know you. You're just outside the top 15. I think his. I, I think he's. If he even moves to welterweight, he might not even be as high ranked as he is at middleweight. I, I I still think he's in a fine position at 185, and I don't think, I don't think he's a title contender at 170. I think he'd win fights, and then once he got to 
the upper echelon of the division, he's probably going to lose those fights. But he's in the same position at 185, doesn't have to cut a whole bunch of weight, and seems very happy for the most part. So it's not that I'm against it. It just doesn't seem like he's really interested at all in going down to 170. So, And I, I think he can beat him off. I think he can beat him. That's going to be an interesting fight. It's probably like the fourth or fifth most interesting fight on the card. Probably the fourth most interesting. But I'm in. Australian talk. Hello. Hey, good day, Mike. Uh, quick question, mate. And maybe a follow-up if you'll allow as well. Um, so the UFC's hesitancy to implement the transparent scoring, uh, is, is their argument that they're doing that because they believe if, if the fighters know who's clearly winning going into the third round of a three-round fight, for example, that the person leading two rounds will just coast through and, and therefore the fights will sort of pan out. You, you'll have fighters trying to defend their lead rather than ensure the win. And I would say, don't we already see that a lot of the time anyway, mate? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the argument against open scoring from a lot of people is that well, the guy with who's up two rounds is just going to coast, especially if they know they're up two rounds. But here's the thing as well with open scoring is that just because you have it doesn't mean the fighters necessarily know or have to use it. So, I mean, I've watched some Invicta cards where they have open scoring, and what they do is they take like an iPad and they put it up towards the corner and the corners can decide whether or not they want to use, use it or not. Some use it. Some want to know where they stand and others are just like, no, they, they fight better when they don't know where they stand. Let's just keep the pressure on. Like, like you're down two rounds. Let's keep you fighting. Let's keep you top notch. So just because it's there doesn't mean you have to use it, but that's the argument against it. But I'm with you. It doesn't, if a fighter's confident they won the first two rounds, they could coast if they wanted to, anyways. But again, that's, but that's the referee. If, if that's the case, if it's a stalling thing, or if it becomes a stalling thing, the referee could just take a point. You're stalling, warning, you're stalling, point, gone. So there's ways around it. But again, I don't necessarily think open scoring is the answer because all it's going to do is just, Imagine if you're Kai Car France. Imagine you're Kai Car France. You probably felt pretty damn good about that fourth round. Imagine finding out that a judge scored that round against you. What is that going to do to your psyche? You're going to be pissed. And maybe that translates to a great fifth round, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it translates to, oh, you got to be shitting me and you're down on yourself. So there's, there's pros and cons to everything. If they wanted to try it, I would be like, cool, try it. And I'd be happy that they're actually trying something. But they're not going to, so I'm not going to get too excited about it. Panda, hello. Panda, are you there? Okay, I don't hear you. We will move on. Mikey. Me? Yep. Hey, guys, how's it going, man? Just... uh Going to keep it a little light because I'm still uh, on a high from the Knights' ass-whipping of the Panthers last night. So, um, listen, I just want to say, I get it. 289 is not the most blockbustery looking card. But also, can people please stop pretending it was supposed to be? 
Everyone's like, well, it's not 290. No shit. 290 is International Fight Week. It's that that's that's the tent pole card. The, the June card always gets a short end sometimes because it's like it's the card before International Fight Week, which is supposed to be the big one. And two, just for perspective, everyone's like, oh, these cards are so watered. I'm like, remember in 2011, UFC 129, aka like the biggest card ever, because it was George St. Pierre and Jake Shields and in a stadium. The main card had Jason Brills and Vladimir Matyushenko. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, I get it. Mike Malott's on the main card and whoever else. But, like, these some pay-per-views, more often than not, these pay-per-views look like what this week's is. And two, again, I'm sick and tired of it that, you know, you guys complain that women's MMA needs to have more depth, but then you also don't want them to main event anything. So, like, you know, and, and another thing, too, about open scoring, whether or forward against it, is, you know, I can waffle back and forth. But I think sometimes, too, it's so much easier for fans to project what they prefer to see from a broadcast perspective. Like, oh, I want to see open scoring. Or I want to see, you know, fights and legalize certain things. And then you think about it and you're just like, well, that's you as a fan. You just mentioned it with Kai Kara France. Like, okay, what's open scoring really doing for the fighters themselves? Oh, but they'll know what the score is. I'm like, okay, is that something you necessarily want to know like honestly you really want to know that you want to or because then what you're just going to be scoreboard watching you know are you gonna because you have imagine having a game plan and then finding out it's not working and then it completely discombobulates you and you're just like well shit now what do i have to do again i get it i'm just saying more often than not fans always claim like they want something done but then they don't really think about the practical application of it for the fighters or even the athletes like when we watch football and basketball everyone says they should change this they should change that i'm just like are you sure about that? Do you think that would actually make the game better for the players? Or do you just want it as a fan because you're sitting at home? You know what I mean? That's all for me today, guys. Have a good week. Be kind. Well, I mean, with the 289 thing, I mean, I, I agree with some of what you're saying. I don't agree with all of what you're saying. Like, comparing 288, like I said, 288 wasn't, wasn't great either. That was, a lot had to do with, just dominoes falling on that card. So we got a Bilal Muhammad Gilbert Burns fight, which made absolutely no sense. And I think the more time goes by, I think the more we're going to learn that that fight made absolutely no sense for that particular card. The fight made sense. The timing of the fight made zero sense because you're just having these guys come in on less than three weeks notice fight for what is perceived to be stakes. Yet there probably isn't any, at the end of the day, because of how this division might actually look at the end of the year. And there was no rush to put this fight on to begin with. This it just seemed like, you know, this was kind of the card we're going to get. And for eight, you're just at, like, to me, it's just, if you're the UFC and you're the predominant organization and you're asking fans who are already paying a certain amount of money per month to watch your product, to spend $80 to watch a show, you want to put your best foot forward as much as possible. Now, I understand that's not going to happen every single time. But at the same token, because you are making money hand over fist, because you are profiting $300 plus million, profiting, not making, profiting. That's not what you, that's not like what you made. That's what you're profiting. 
the fans expect more from you. And 290 compared to most international fight weeks, I love 290. As a fan, I love it. It ain't for everybody. It ain't for everybody. I love Volkanovski, Yair Rodriguez. I love it. But when most people think of International Fight Week, they think of Israel Adesanya. They think of the biggest stars. And comparing this International Fight Week card from a casual standpoint compared to others, it's not the same. It's not the same. Last year's, on paper, from a casual perspective, was better than this one. Not to me. I love this card. I love this card. I love Moreno Pantoja. Love it. Love that fight. Volk Yair is probably the fight I'm looking forward to more than anything else that's on the books this year. But it, again, when we're looking at it from a casual perspective, bringing in new viewers, who's going to want to spend $80? If, if, if someone is hurting for cash right now and is like, but it's a big MMA fan, and they're like, you know what? Budgeting this out, I can only choose one of these cards in July to buy or choose one of these next three pay-per-views to buy. I would be pretty confident that most people are going to take 291 over 290, and most people aren't taking 289. Having said that, I like the 289 main event. And like I've said, I got vibes. I have, I've had a feeling since the fight was announced, and I had more of a feeling after that first press conference I feel like we're going to see Irene Aldana win the title. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but if we're going by vibes, I got vibes. I've been feeling pretty strongly about this one. I feel like Aldana is just, is just ready to go. I feel like it's her time. I'm not saying like the aftermath of 289 like couldn't be something where we have storylines for the next week. It's very possible, but... Again, I just don't I don't see a lot of people buying this one. I just don't see a lot of people buying it. And that's a problem. Panda, do we have you? Hey my man Mike, you know we got those phone issues over here. How are we? Good. What's up? Um yeah, I'll just go quick two things here. Um in my opinion, it's gonna be so hard to switch to open scoring. And 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 obviously, what do I know? You know what I mean? I'm a goddamn panda on Twitter. But with that being said, um, the gambling community, the actual UFC community, like just the way that things have been run up to now, like going so unorthodox to open scoring and like having the actual fight stopped to then let us know how that last round went while these judges are already still making decisions. And Dana White doesn't even care about the decisions these judges are making because he's out there promoting his slab fighting. So like the judging isn't ever going to get better until the man in charge starts talking about it. Secondly, I think there's one fight Saturday we're very, very, I mean, as a community, I'll speak up for the community, excited for. But Neil versus Charles is a banger. Talk to me about it, Mike. Are we excited? Are you as excited as I am? I think Charles might be able to put him out and catch him late. But Benil does pack a lot of uh, heat in his hands. Thanks, Mike. Have a heck of a morning. So addressing the first thing, um, is it hard to transition? Not really. All I'm, a- all I'm asking, and, I- and I've been one of those people who, who have been saying that open scoring to me is not the answer. This is not going to fix everything. It's just going to lead to more grumpiness because we're going to see it round by round. 
And if we're grumpy after seeing scorecards after the fight, boy, are we going to be grumpy when we see scores after each round and who scores it for each round. Twitter is going to be a cesspool. So if we think that's going to change the negativity, it isn't. All I'm suggesting is if some people feel like this is the answer and if it could actually fix judging, all I'm saying is why not try it? Why not just try it once and just see? If it's a failure, don't do it again. All I'm saying is just try things. It's okay to try. Trying is good. Just give it a shot. And Dana has nothing to do with this. And Dana, Believe me, Dana has shit on enough referees and enough judges over the years. You can go back and watch many a press conference. Dana has done that. He has no say over this. None. The only thing he has say over is if they go to a certain area that offers open scoring, it is up to the promotion whether or not they want to use it. But Dana cannot – Dana can talk about referees and judges till he's red in the face. And it's not going to change anything. The commission, it's all about them. They make the decisions. But if they go to Colorado or they go to Kansas or they go to someplace that has open scoring – just try it once and see what happens. I mean, it doesn't hurt. I don't think it's the answer, but it doesn't hurt to try. And yes, Darius Oliver is the best fight on the card, even, even above the main event. Love it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Daniel, hello. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning to you. Um, just because everybody's on this judges thing, um, you know, when I look at this, I'm just kind of curious, like if we took all the controversial decisions in the last five years, like what percentage of those decisions have Saudi Amato, Chris Lee, Adelaide Bird, or Doug Crosby in it? Like it, it feels like it is the same culprits pretty much every single time. Um, I mean, I rarely log into Twitter after a controversial decision and I'm disagreeing with the general public and like siding with the judges. Like it seems like m- most of the time the whole world you know, scores a fight one way, and then these three or four people scored a different way. Um, I'm just really curious. Like, there will always be bad scorecards here and there, but I just don't understand why we're not, you know, disciplining these guys, why one of these people maybe hasn't been fired. I know Doug Crosby did the 50-45 for Sabatello. Then he flew to Vegas from Connecticut that same week or whatever and then scored the the Patty fight uh, in the Jerry The next day. Yeah, yeah. The next day. He did it the next day, and then – I didn't even realize this. Then right after that, he went and did a judging clinic or something at Extreme Couture. And 
apparently I, I was reading uh, an interview with Chris Curtis and Chris Curtis was like, dude, we we're trying to ask this guy questions. And he had no idea what he was saying. He's like, we literally walked out of the training. So, I mean, that was just a horrible little freaking week stretch for that guy, two week stretch. So, I mean, I, I guess we haven't seen him since, but yeah, I, I'm just, I don't know. Like, it seems like these three or four people have the longest leash on any rep or judge across any sports, like even bigger professional sports, NBA or something like that. Like they look at the track record, records of these judges and make sure we have the most competent ones in the playoffs and the bigger ones. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of mind blown that these three or four people just keep popping up. Um, maybe we should just give a shot. Maybe just, you know, not using them as much. I don't know. Thanks Mike. Yeah. I mean, it's something we could probably like go through and, and try to figure out, but at the same token, we've seen, the like we've seen the UFC go to like different states and different cities that they haven't been to before. And the commissions are like, look, you got to use the local officials. Look at Texas for God's sake. Look at the San Antonio area. We had the fury FC incident where Johnny Vasquez gets choked unconscious. The referee allows the fight to continue while he's unconscious gets put in arm bars. Arm is broken. And then that referee got to go judge fights for the UFC the next day. And we saw some awful decisions on that card because they use local officials. We've seen it in Kansas City. We saw, we, we saw it in Charlotte with like referees who had no idea what they were doing. We've seen it like, it doesn't matter. Like we could use the, we could statistically do that, but if they go to another area and use local officials, we've seen the local officials screw things up too. So, I mean, again, it's a very difficult job. It's a very difficult job. We can watch the fights on television and hear the commentary and see all the angles. We get the best view of anybody else, way better than the judges have. The judges have to sit in their one seat and they look at at their specific angle and they can only judge what they see. So if one judge has, one judge could have the entire round right in front of them while the other judge like may not be able to see really anything because they're across the cage, they're clinching against the fence and like, Maybe they're not getting a good enough view from where they sit. Like, that happens. And I'm willing to give a little bit of a pass to that. But if this is a problem, all I'm saying is, let's just try some things. Let's just try some things. Maybe one of the ideas – I remember talking to Eric Nixick about this, and he's told me the Doug Crosby story as well, about Crosby going up and trying to answer questions and not really answering them, so they're just like, fuck this, we're out of here. And – one of the things we've talked about is like the judges can be cage side, but let's put them in a box. Like let's put them in like one of those like photo boxes where they have a monitor and they, there's another commission official in there watching them watch the fights on the monitor, no sound coming through the earphones. And then they can print up and give their cards right there. And then they get the same view as everybody else. Like what's the problem with them watching the monitors? As long as they're not listening to the commentary or hearing the crowd react or anything like that. Like it can be done. Let's take all the outside elements out of it. Sometimes the crowd reactions can sway the judges. It can, especially when things are happening across the octagon from where they're sitting. They just hear the reaction from the crowd. They see a punch thrown and it looks close and the crowd's like, yay. And they're like, well, I didn't really see it, but the crowd seems to think it landed. This shit happens. But again, the scoring structure sucks. 
10-9 must is a boxing scoring model. It's not an MMA scoring model. And this is just going to keep happening, my friends. Uh, double A. Hello, hello, hello. It's been a while. How are you? Good. What's up? Um, I want to talk about um, Nate Landway, if we can. Okay. So, um, ever, um, Nate Landway is um, that fighter that if you see him, you love him, right? Because of, like his crazy fighting style. But um, in my opinion, um, just because he ha- he isn't that well, he isn't really that known because he's only fought on fight nights, really. I thought I ha- I had in my head that if he had won in Nate quote unquote Nate Landwehr fashion on on this card, it might have been like a star making performance for him. But now I'm thinking that it might not because it's 289 and the UFC might have made a mistake in in putting him on this card. What do you think? I don't think they made a mistake putting him on this card. I think people are really excited about it. I think it's more about the fight in the matchup than just one fighter in particular. I think it's both guys. I think this has the recipe for chaos and I think people are here for it. I don't think Nate Landwehr is going to be like, I think Nate is, is getting over, but I don't know if he's going to be like a superstar, even if he beats Dan Ige, which I'm not picking him to be Dan Ige. I could be wrong. I think Dan's going to win, but it's going to be fun as hell. Well, last. So I don't think it's a mistake putting him on this card. Let's give the guy a shot. He's getting over. He's fought in front of crowds the last few couple of times, and the people are going crazy for him. So let's let's put him in front of this audience, and fans are going to go nuts. It's going to be a fun watch with the reaction to that crowd. So I don't think it's a mistake putting him on the card. If he fights on 290 or 291, he's on the prelims. You know, what's I, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. And I think Dan, I think Nate, win or lose, is going to be a guy people are going to be excited about no matter what. I don't think he's going to be like a big star. But I think he's someone that invokes excitement. Like Cerrone or back in the day or even Nico Price or Michelle Pereira, guys like that. Um, he's kind of kind of be in that, that atmosphere, which is, a, which is a pretty good place to be. Can make a very good living being in that place. Abzwalia, what's up, man? Good, good. I'm doing you? good. Um, yeah, so I'll just have two questions, just like us. Firstly, the main event. I think it's a really great main event overall. Um, you know, for El Bazi, um, I-, I reckon they should definitely do the Brandon Roville versus El Bazi for um title eliminator. You know, depending on what the outcome will happen with Pantoja versus uh, Marina next month, but assuming Br- Marina still wins the belt. That would be the fight I reckon the UFC should make. And and it's probably common sense because Albazi, I don't think, has earned the title shot yet. Yes, Kai Kara friends technically worst fine for interim title last year, July, but that's that's not really anything that makes sense, you know. Like I, I would say if Kai Kara friends did fight for title, that would have made perfect sense. But in this case, no. Um and my second thing, just regarding PPVs, you know, one thing I've I wish the UFC really did was um, market the pay per views much better. Like, I'm not saying they don't, you know, don't get me wrong, they really do. But this is a trend I've noticed, particularly this year. You know, despite how gravier this has been for fight cards and overall, like, I'll take a good example 284 and 288. 
not really, I guess, remarkable high cards, but they like the 284. It came, I think, one day just before the Super Bowl happened. And, you know, same with like 288 when the NBA playoffs were happening and the baseball season just started. Like, I really wish the UFC scheduled and planned some of their cards where they can be, I guess, the biggest event people talk about the whole night. Because I'm just seeing the current schedule that they have upcoming like such as um 291 that's going to be a really huge card we all know that but that's coming on the same day as that terence crawford versus spencer five and no doubt in my mind that fight is going to, probably going to overtake the justin gaethje versus dustin poirier fight just based off the name alone how long fans have been waiting for that fight card and also the fact is boxing boxing always just seems to out um smart and play ufc whenever the biggest biggest fights happen i i'm not like i said um maybe you know i might be overthink this a little bit but I reckon the UFC could really push their marketing up to another notch because they have come to a point now compared to maybe 12 years ago when I started watching the sport from my perspective where people are actually talking about these cards you see like I've seen how 285 was talked about how even a card as big as 286 was talked about like it was talked about you know even last year the year before like maybe 262 or, you know, 258, all these big cars, people are talking about it as much as you would see an NFL post or a baseball post or your average NBA post be posted on social media. So, But I really would like to see the UFC step up their marketing. I think this company has come so far, they could take things up a notch and really push the brand to, you know, possibly getting close to that um, next popular level. Uh, thanks, man. That's all I have to say. Have a good day. I mean, it would be nice, but they don't have to. They've already won. They've already won the game. Whatever they've been doing, they could just keep doing. Because that 280, that 291 card, whether one person watches it or it does a million pay-per-view buys, it makes no difference to them. Because Salt Lake City is paying them millions of dollars to come to their area. They're making money regardless of how that does on pay-per-view. And they'll market it. And Terrence Crawford, that fight wasn't even a thing. When this card was announced, wasn't even a thing, wasn't even discussed. There was no target, there was no nothing. So it's just gonna be like, all right, it's gonna do fine on pay per view, even with the boxing. Like, it's gonna do fine. It's a loaded card, it's gonna do fine. But th- th- that, that card was never gonna do a million, anyways. But it's, it's gonna be fine, and they don't care. They're making, a, they're making so much money. That if that does 300,000 pay-per-view buys, like, you think they care? They don't care. They don't care. We'd love to see them market more, but they don't need to. They don't need to do anything. Everything they do is money, makes money. Everything. They don't need to take risks. They don't need to spend any additional money. They don't have to do any of that stuff. And they're never going to be the NFL or anybody like that, but they're doing just fine. They're making so much money. They're, they're killing everybody. There's not a combat sports company. Like all of them combined are making what the UFC is making right now in profit. None of them. They don't have to do anything. Everything they do turns to gold. CV, hello. CV. All right, we move on. Try to get to everybody here. It's a lot of you. Four-ounce sniper, hello. Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Yep. 
Yeah, I got you. Uh, my audio is back now. Uh, just real quick, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on Alex Caceres' performance this past weekend. Got a fight of the night along with the victory. I think he's on a four-fight win streak. Um, he, I think I remember him calling out uh, Alexander Volkanovsky for maybe a future title shot. Uh, what do you think his ceiling is uh, truly? Because I remember two, two, three years ago seeing him fight. I never would have thought he probably would have broken into the top 15. I don't know what it was. I just never thought he was that good. But it seems he's made a big improvement in his game. And, I mean, he's ranked 15. He'll probably bump up to maybe 14 or 13. And that's that means he's like two or three fights away from a title. So just your thoughts on his performance and his chances of breaking in the top five. Uh, so, yes, Alex Xeris, great fight. Enjoyed that very much. Daniel Pineda is just – that dude is just a zombie. And it, it's great to have a good dance partner. Yeah, Xeris looked great. He's won two straight now, seven and one in his last eight fights. And he's been fighting backwards like every single time. So, yeah, let's give him a little something-something. My suggestion was Edson Barboza. Let's go that route. I think that's a really fun fight. And we'll test him there. Is he a top five guy? Mm, I don't really know if I'm if I'm ready to say that, but dude's real good. He's he's very good. Featherweight's a great division. People talk about lightweight and bantamweight all the time, but featherweight's right there. Featherweight does not get nearly enough love for being as deep as it is. And Caceres is just another one of those examples. Daniel Pineda too. Daniel Pineda has like 29 wins and he's finished all of them. That's nuts. He's been fighting forever. Super fun fighter. Super fun fighter. But yeah, give me, give me him and Edson Barboza. He needs to fight somebody with a number next to his name. Enough is enough. His next fight needs to be against a ranked guy. I think he's more than earned that at this point. Four Corner Sports, hello. Hey, Mike, are you able to hear me? Yep. All right, Mike. So I wanted to talk to you about um... – yeah, the the I think uh, um, one of the callers ended up taking my point about um, wh- who should fight, um, who should Albazi fight. I think Albazi should fight Brandon Royval. I think that both these fighters need to fight quick. In my opinion, you want to get it, you know, within the same timeline as Moreno versus Pantoja, just because that way it's not such of a long layoff, and then you don't have somebody jumping over you. But um, do you imagine if they have Kai Car France fighting on that uh, Sydney card? Um, just because it, it looked like he didn't take too much damage or anything like that. And if he spins it around, it might be a quick turnaround. I mean, I imagine a lot of the the city kickboxing guys are going to be fighting on that card. It would be surprising if uh, KKF doesn't fight on that card. But um, I do have a prediction for this main event. I just feel like everything is timelining on what's it called, Amanda Nunes, like, leaving the sport. I think Anthony Smith had said it best that, you know, her involving her family on a lot of these uh, ventures on her, I want to say, what, three, four fights? I think ever since, like, the Megan Anderson fight, um, that she brings her family along, and it just seems like she has one foot in and one foot out, and that's never good. I feel like that's one of the reasons why she lost to Juliana Pena. I, I also have other reasons why she lost to her, but I just think... Irene Aldana is a more hungrier fighter. I think that she has a good chance of getting it done. And if Amanda lets her ego get in the way, 
look what happened with her against Juliana Pena. They were at a swinging war, and you know Amanda got exhausted. And not for nothing, Irene Aldana hits a lot harder than Juliana Pena. So I'm predicting, and I'm going to say it right now, it's probably going to be a second or third round uh, TKO. And don't be surprised if Amanda Nunes walks away from the sport after that because she already had accomplished everything at that point. And it would actually be best because she's holding up the Bantamweight division. And we can actually have, you know, a lot more Bantamweight fights. What did we have last year? Like 12, 13 women's Bantamweight fights last year? That's ridiculous. I mean, the the title should be defended at least twice a year. And overall, within like the last four years, it got defended twice. That's ridiculous right there. But that's what I wanted to say. Um, let me know what you think. And it's always a great speaking to you, Mike. So there is no women's bantamweight division. There's 12 fighters. Look at the UFC rankings. The last three ranked fighters at 135 are, don't even fight at 135. There's no division. There's no division. It's insanity. There's like five active fighters. There's like seven who fight so uh, every so often. Julia Avila is just had a baby. We don't know when she's coming back. And then like Chelsea Chandler is ranked at 135 and she doesn't fight at 135. It's nuts. N- Norma Dumont is ranked at 135. She doesn't fight at 135. There is no division. There is no division. It's crazy. Whether Amanda's champion or not, we're still going to have the same problems. We don't have any fighters. So my, my, we've been talking about this a lot. I would like to see the UFC just make like one women's, like 115 is its own division, 125 is its own division, and then we combine 135 and 145 as like one division, like the women's heavyweight division, if you will, where we can open things up. We don't have to, women don't have to cut to 135. Just do like one title. We're like all of them. Who cares? Like, I wouldn't hate that. There's just not enough, like, there's just not enough fighters of that weight class or at 45. So it's it's just a big problem. I don't necessarily agree, like, the family thing. I just I think that kind of helps calm Amanda down and separates her from the sport a little bit. And I think a lot of fighters do that, Max Holloway being one of them. And there's a lot of fighters who involve their family and need that sort of separation from all of that. And I don't think it's, that's why she lost to Juliana Pena. I think she lost Juliana Pena because she thought she was going to kill Juliana Pena. And the timing just worked out perfect where Amanda thought like it would be a, just an easy win. And Juliana just out hearted her and took big punishment. And Amanda was like, damn, couldn't put her away. And Juliana got her back. But when she actually prepared for it, Amanda beat that ass. And if they booked him for a third time, the same thing probably would have happened. So I like this fight. I think Arena Aldana is very physical. She's she's big for the weight class. I think she's bigger than Amanda Nunes. And I don't know. I just kind of feel like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like it's Aldana's time. I feel very good about that. I could be wrong. And Amanda could just outclass her like she's done to most other fighters. But I feel like this could be a really good night for Irene Aldana. The Kai Car France thing, sure. If he wants to fight on that card, he will. And with Albazi, I think he's going to fight Pantoja no matter what. If Pantoja beats Miranda Moreno, I know everyone's saying, like, well, they're just going to do an immediate rematch. And, yeah, will Moreno get a, get a title shot right back? Sure. But if Pantoja wins... 
what's going to happen is the UFC is going to Abu Dhabi. They're going to Abu Dhabi in October. If Brandon Moreno beats Pantoja, there is no way they're going to convince Brandon Moreno to turn around in three months and defend that belt against Amir Albazi in Abu Dhabi. Not going to happen. If Pantoja wins, I could absolutely see Dana White going to the press conference saying, Pantoja is going to defend against Amir Albazi in Abu Dhabi because the crowd would be very much behind Amir Albazi. He would be a star there. And I could see that happening. The timing actually works out pretty well for Amir. Where if Pantoja wins, I could definitely see a world where they turn Pantoja around quick, fights Albazi in Abu Dhabi. Moreno gets the winner of that fight. There you go. Doesn't slow anything down. Make the Abu Dhabi fans happy. Make the government happy. Bringing over a guy that people are going to care about to fight for a title. Islam on the card, etc. So I could definitely see that happening. And if Pantoja loses, you do Moreno versus Royval for the belts. He fights Pantoja with the win. He gets the title shot. So I don't think I don't think Royval and Albazi are going to fight each other. But we'll see. That's how I would do it. If Pantoja wins the belt, I have I have a strong feeling they're going to try to turn Pantoja on fast to try to fight Albazi and Abu Dhabi. But Moreno, I can do that. No, no chance. Let's go to James, then we'll go to CV. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning to you. I'll just keep it uh, short and sweet. I like to guess the lines um, of the fights coming up, and I'm kind of shocked that Nunez is a minus 330 favorite. Um, kind of curious what you think. I kind of figure she'd be more around the minus 150. And uh, at this point in time, do you think we'll ever get the Nunez-Shevchenko trilogy? Uh, like always, Mike, thanks for what you do, and have a heck of a morning. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't put it at minus one fifty. I'd put I'd, minus three thirty seems a little high, but it's not. I don't think it's far. I don't think it's far away. Minus two seventy, minus two eighty is probably where I'd have Nunes. It's about right. Donna's taking this one on. Rel- she wasn't the first opponent. Somewhat short notice. It's not like it's three weeks notice, but it's somewhat short notice. Yeah, I, I don't think it's too far off. One minus 150 would be insane. I would all the value be on Amanda Nunes at minus 150. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think that's that, that, that's uh, that's about right. I don't think the lines are too terribly far off. I think the value's on Aldana right now, but I think that line's going to get a little a little closer. CV, hello. Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Yep. Hey, man. Uh, two quick uh, things for me. Um, first question. Um, Assuming you're Michael Chandler and you're like assuming the worst possible outcome, which is Connor not fighting this year, um, would you hold out for? I mean, would you wait for the McGregor fight if you're Chandler, or do you try to get another bag and try to get another fight in before the year is done? Because I guess if like he doesn't fight again this year, his last fight would have been, uh, I think Poirier, right, uh, back in November. And um, second question, um, thoughts on the Brad Tavares and Chris Weidman matchup? Thanks. It's a good question with Chandler. I think you would wait for Connor to a certain extent, but I think there comes a point during this where he's just going to have to be like, eh, it's not going to happen. 
but I don't think he'd settle for like who is he gonna fight? He's fought everybody. He's fought Oliveira. I mean, I mean, there it would not shock me if the UFC just gave him a title shot, even though he lost to Dustin Poirier. He's already fought Poirier. He's already fought Gaethje. He's already fought Oliveira. He's lost all three of those guys. I think he's going to wait for Connor as long as possible. As long as he can. What's he going to fight Faziv? Is he going to fight Sarukian? Is he going to fight Grant Dawson? No, he's not going to fight any of those guys. So I think he'll wait for Connor as, as long as he can. All right, so we got five people waiting. These will be the final five. Viking, DC, Barbarossa, the homie, and Ani. That's how we're going to do this. We're going to go rapid fire. Boom, 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 boom. Viking, hello. Viking. Hello, Mike. Hello, what's up? I'm back from time, MMA. So uh, I just want to start with the one and only journalist, the unbiased journalist, Ariel Helwani, because everyone is, a lot of people in this space are sharing thoughts based upon what Ariel had said on this on his show the other day. But show, by the way, the most uh, transparent journalist I have ever seen in my life in the world, whether it comes to the sport journalist or crime or many other streams. I mean, exposing Dana White and UFC. Because no one's going to do that if it wasn't for Ariel Helwani. And who is raising voices voice for fighters like Francis Ngannou and Jared Gordon, Kaikara France. No one but Ariel and who is contacting commissions for what the judges are doing without any responsibility and causing a lot of problems for fighters. And I'm 100% sure if Nganu does mistakes in the future, Ariel's going to criticize him and going to ask him a lot of questions. And Jed Mishu should learn a lot of things from Ariel Helwan. The best journalist of all time if not the best, we all need such kind of motherfuckers. God bless Ariel. Thanks a lot. Ariel's the man. What can we say? He's the man. Uh, DC Betts, hello. DC Betts, are you there? All right, so let's move on. Barbarossa. What's up, man? How are you? Um, Good. I just want to ask you about the lightweight division because uh, the upcoming fight is uh, between the one who should be fighting for the title, Benin Darius, and um, I think Oliveira is going to win. He had the better opposition. I wish for the division it's going to be better if Benil wins. But what do you think? If um, if Oliveira wins, 
do you wish that uh, then Alexander Volkanovsky walks through Yair, which I think it's pretty hard, and uh, Dustin and Justin, no, neither of them is going to be winning with no issues, uh, which he can't get, make a quick turnaround for two months, a uh, little bit more. Uh, what do you think is going to happen uh, with Islam? Is there a scenario where he doesn't fight in Abu Dhabi? I don't know. Thank you, Mike. So, no, I, 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 I think he'll find his way on that card one way or the other. I mean, if Darius wins, you don't have to worry about it because he'll get the shot. Uh, if Oliveira wins, I think Volk would probably be the next choice. But kind of like the last caller said, maybe they offered, maybe they give it to Chandler. If Chandler's available, they I could see them making that fight. Doesn't make a ton of sense from a merit perspective, but. Chandler's a name, and he'll be on the season of the Ultimate Fighter. If Connor's future's up in the air, and Chandler's the the dude, let's just say Volkanovski and Yair have a war, wouldn't stun me. But Darius wins, and we don't have to worry about it. DC, hello. Hey, Mike, can you hear me now? Cool. Yep. Sorry about that, brother. Um, so I wanted to. Uh... I wanted to ask if you had a chance to listen to uh, Chris Curtis and uh, Sean Strickland's new uh, podcast on YouTube. It's called The Man Dance. Uh, it's just, it's it's freaking hilarious. So I have to recommend that to anybody. And then also uh, Robert Whitaker has, uh, has his own podcast too. It's called the MMA Arcade. And so if you're into video games and MMA, that's, it's perfect. And Robert Whitaker is a freaking nerd, man, but it's really cool to, to, to see that side of him and everything. But I want, what I wanted to ask you and talk to you about is the beef I have with you because I don't understand, and I'm just joking, but I just can't understand how, how when you talk about how the UFC should cut out one of these fights or one of the, uh, you know, one of these guys of Duplessis and, and Whitaker, that you keep saying that the, the obvious thing to do is to give Duplessis to Adesanya um, and give Whitaker to Strickland, which which I'm like, I, I don't understand that because the, the obvious thing to do is Duplessis go to Strickland because you barely beat uh, an old man Brunson and you guys couldn't even make it past the second round, either one of them. So why should he get uh, you know, a championship fight for that when it seems like we're just trying to make it like the WWE here and it, well, what's the best storyline? Okay, well, we got this, this race issue shit going on. Let's do that. Instead of, you know, the real thing is Robert Whitaker has earned that title shot. He should already have that title shot. It's the third one. I understand that. But, you know, people still argue to this day that Robert Whitaker won that second fight. So I don't know how people can't say that it's not, um, you know, that it's not that it's not a fight that people don't want to see or people. Yeah, you know, that people want to see. So if you could just explain that to me, uh, we'll argue it back and forth. I appreciate you, brother. Have a heck of a morning. I mean, there's there's no argument to be had. It just it just makes sense. Like if you're gonna make that fight, you have to do it now. Because if DDP fights any if, if DDP fights Robert Whitaker, he's never fighting Adesanya. Because what Robert's gonna win that fight. He's gonna win it running away. So like 
let's just do that. Let's get Adesanya fighting a guy that stylistically he will be very fun against. Stylistically, that he has a very good chance of getting a highlight reel knockout and a very good chance of looking like a major superstar in his home country. Like, what's wrong with that? And then Whitaker can fight the winner. Whitaker fights Strickland and gets the belt. He's in the same position. Just goes and fights the winner. The reason I'm saying that right now is like, We've already seen it twice. They just fought last year. And Adesanya won. And I don't, there's no controversy. The fight was closer. But I, like, I, there was not one watch of that where I was like, oh, maybe, maybe Whitaker might have snuck that one out. No. And Adesanya didn't fight great in that fight. So in the first one, Adesanya just ran him. Just ran him. So... Let's just do something different. We have a fresh man in a division where Izzy's already beat pretty much everybody already. Like he is, when we talk about cleaning out a division, Adesanya has pretty much cleaned out his division. There's a couple of names he hasn't fought, but DDP's one of them. Let's just build this thing up. Stylistically, he's probably going to be, it's, it's a more fun fight. Like, let's just do it. And if Whitaker beats Strickland or wherever he fights, then he gets the next title shot. Like I, if they did, they just moved Whitaker to it. Fine. What's the other alternative, though? What's the other alternative? I don't know, but it doesn't seem like they're changing anything. UFC 290 is coming up in a month. If we're gonna change something, we better change it quick. Because right now you're taking a big risk with Whitaker and DDP fighting hoping one of these guys can turn around in two months. So it's a tough ask. And Whitaker Strickland from a casual perspective is way more interesting than Whitaker versus DDP. Most people don't even know who DDP is outside of like the MMA community. But most, a lot of people know who Strickland is and Strickland will say some shit at the press conference. That'll get people all sorts of riled up. So that's how I would do it. The other option is we do Izzy versus Jamal Hill, and I just don't really have a ton of interest in that idea. I could see them doing it, but like I don't really care to see it right now. Jamal Hill hasn't even defended his title yet. Let's go to the homie, and then we're going to Ani, and then I got to go. Um, yep. Just wanted to ask, based on sort of the first half of the year, uh, how is 2023 shaping up for the UFC? Like, I know that they're enormously successful and their parent company is inking huge deals based off of uh, their success. But just as a fan, you know, there's kind of a lot of bummer headlines out there between Dana White domestic violence and the commute or the uh, commission and UFC being on autopilot, which the Jared Gordon incident kind of shows. Um, just as a fan, do you think we're going to look back on 2023 and think like, man, that was kind of a rough one? Thanks, Mike. I don't know. It's tough to say. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, yeah. Because we're, we're, we're not going to forget about the Dana thing. That's going to be one of the bigger stories of the year. And they just haven't, like, like John Jones's return has been big. No doubt about that. But if that's the only time John fights, boy, is that tough. And if we don't get Michael Chandler or Conor McGregor this year... That's tough too. 
There's a lot of stuff. Like a lot of people aren't happy that Colby's getting a title shot. We don't even know when that fight's going to happen. The treatment of Aljamain Sterling. There's there's just a lot. From a business perspective, Endeavor doesn't give a shit because they're making so much money that it really doesn't matter. And these cities keep paying the UFC just so much money to come to their locations that they could just drive their negative tiers with $100 bills. They're okay with that. But is this going to be, as of right now, is this shaping up to be a memorable year for the UFC? No. No, it isn't. The power slap thing hasn't been helping with a lot of the marketing and promotional stuff being shoved down people's throats on the UFC accounts for the power slap thing that nobody really cares about. I don't know. It just, I don't think it's going to be, but again, they have no competition. They can do whatever they want. No one's going to stop them. There's no one competing with them. They are the WWF from the 19, from 1987. That's where they are right now. And no one can touch them. So they can do whatever they want. And nothing's going to stop that train. As of right now. Ani, hello. Yep. Not noisy today as well. Did you notice that? Because... It's very good. Yes, I am in my office, Mike. And I tell you, like, I am frustrated marking these papers. As a research student, you aid teachers with things like invigilating, marking, teaching, and stuff like that. Man, I don't understand what has happened to students and their handwriting, you know, the way they write in their papers. It's as if they forgot to shit in the morning and they just shat on the paper. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Anyway, I apologize for um, that rant. Um, So, with regards to, you know, judges and everything, uh, I know we've... A lot of people have spoken about this. I think... The, the idea of having a judge or at least a representative of the athletic commission as in a spokesperson on behalf of an athletic commission to come and speak to the media would be good. But the judge does not actually, if, if they really want to protect their judges or if they're really worried about the judges' well-being or whatever it is, but then keep naming and shaming them though. So what I say is first, when you announce a split decision, how about we just refrain from mentioning the dissenting judge's name and then we just ask the dissenting judge to give a written report like like a cup maybe just write 10 lines or just just write these are the identifiers from fighter x which is why i gave the round to him just give a written description and ask a, a representative to read or not it doesn't even have to be a representative you know, after, you know, we have to bear Dana White's press, co- you know, post-fight press conference, have someone like a John Anik to, to you know, to alleviate, alleviate our mood, you know? It's really nice to listen to uh, John Anik speak. So maybe he can read out the report from uh, the judge. So that way, you know, you can protect your judges and you'll also have a well-thought-out written report. I'm pretty sure... Like by the time you have at least two or three fighters and Dana White do their post-fight press conference, that is enough time for, uh, you know, these judges to give a written report for specific fights, for specific fights. And another thing that you need to keep in mind, not all robberies are split decisions, Mike. 
there are certain unanimous decision robberies as well i mean when i say a robbery i i use the word robbery in a very judicious manner when you have a clear round for fighter x that is given to fighter y that is a robbery but a close fight is still okay um so that's there and i'm really happy to see chris weidman back um i think he has one of the best walkout songs uh in terms of pure emotion you know do you like that song tom uh, i won't back down by tom petty that will be all from my side and i know ariel's ariel's the man but he doesn't give us a platform like you do so you're an even bigger man mike you're the man for us so thank you very much i mean ariel has on the nose so he does listen to you guys and and read your thoughts and questions and respond to them so um look i think transparency is huge and we don't have any of it so whatever we can get on the books for transparency's sake when it comes to judges and officials sign me up sign me up for that chris wyman's walkout song is great uh love love it makes perfect sense it makes even more sense now after the catastrophic injury he had and coming back and doing it in Boston, uh, which he's fought in Boston before. It did not go very well for him in Boston against Dominic Reyes in his quest to the new weight class. But yeah, Brad, he's fighting Brad Tavares. A lot of people were like, oh, I wish they gave him like a further step back. But I don't think you really can. I'm sure Chris is making pretty good money to compete. So I think you have to give him somebody with some sort of name value, but you don't want to throw him in there with like Ikram Alaskarov. You don't want to throw him in there with somebody like that. So yeah, I think this is a good name. I think it's a good, a good test and we'll see how it plays out. I'm going to, uh, I'm actually going to reach out to Chris Weidman later on this week. I'm not going to reach out to him right this second. Cause I'm sure his phone is blowing up like crazy with this fight news and, but I want to do something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer him an idea uh, that I think would be really fun in the lead into this return fight that I think he would dig. So, yeah, I like, I, I like the matchup. I do. All right, MMA Locker Room. What's up? What's going on, Mike, man? Welcome, everybody. MMA Mafia. How are we doing today? Good, man. What's on your mind? All right, man. How are we not going to address the big wolf in the room? We keep talking about October Abu Dhabi. I mean, Kazmat Chamayev has to be penciled in and be fighting. And, I mean, let's just think about it. We've been seeing him on social media training left and right with Jalen Turner out there. I think it's going to be a fight versus Kamar Usman at 185. Kamar Usman's at the point of his career to where he just wants big entertaining fights. It's a fight to where either way it go, whoever wins is still going to be in that title contention in any division. Uh, if Kazmat wins, of course. You know, he's right next there to fight for that 185 title. If Usman pulls off the win like that, I mean, the ball's in his court. He can do what he wants from there. But, I mean, I just think the writing's on the wall. We've been seeing Kazmat training left and right, left and right. And it's a little writing on the wall saying that he can't fight in the States, so it all makes sense to me. 
Yeah, I expect him to fight on this card, and maybe it's Usman. If it's Usman at 185, I'm cool with it. Like, why are we not doing the Paulo Costa fight? Like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? That is, like, the biggest no-brainer fight of all. These two guys have been circling each other, calling each other out. Like, what are we doing? That, that fight just makes so much more sense than the Usman fight. But now they want to match. Instead of doing Costa versus Shemaev, we're going to do Costa versus Alaskarov? I mean, I'm intrigued by that fight tremendously, but like, it just doesn't seem like Paul is going to take that fight. Like, that, like Penn's going to go to paper for him to fight Alaskarov. But I think Penn would go to paper to fight Hamza Shemaev. I don't know. It's so, it's so weird. Like, I'm getting to the point with Hamza where, like, until he's actually in the cage fighting and he, like, until he shows up on fight week, there's an embedded with him on location. He weighs in successfully, does ceremonial weigh ins. We get the video of him walking into the arena before he fights and then he actually steps in the cage and Bruce Buffer announces him. I'm not, I don't believe he's going to fight. Like, I'm getting there. I'm getting to that point. Not that he's, I, I, because I, I just don't know. It just seems like he's been sort of penciled into fight so many times. And now, like, what? It's just getting to the point where I have to see it. And then I'll believe it. Whether it's Usman or Costa or whoever. But I think everyone just wants to see this man fight. And I want to see him fight at 185. I've seen photos of Hamzat. It doesn't look like there is a world where he's fighting at 170 anytime soon. He looks like a fucking light heavyweight right now. Maybe even bigger. He's probably he's like 220 right now. He looks gigantic. How the hell is he going to make 170? I'm in on the Usman fight if, if it's at 185. I'm not in if it's at 170. I'm not in. It's too risky. But All right, we got to go. Holy shit. Hour and 41 minutes. This is probably the longest show we've ever done. But there was a lot to talk about and a lot of opinions and a lot of things people wanted to say. And that's what we're here for. But I have to go before I get in trouble. So thank you all very much. You are the best. We'll be back on Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. And we'll get ready for UFC 289. Watch party, all that fun stuff. It's going to be a fun week, everybody. Jose Youngs is uh, on his way to Vancouver. I believe as we speak, so he will be there. Media day tomorrow. Presser on Thursday. This show on Thursday. BTL on Thursday. It's going to be a fun week, everybody. So thank you for joining us back on Thursday right here on the MA Fighting Twitter spaces and on the MA Fighting Podcast Network. Have a great rest of your day, and as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook 
an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. And deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.